Thank you for listening to the Streams Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community that strives to know Jesus and make Him known. If you like our podcast, subscribe and leave us a great rating on Apple Podcasts. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy. All right, and this graphic shows shoes that you shouldn't bring because they are a scotch on the heavy used uh, side. Anyhow, it's so great to be with you. I am delighted uh, to be here. Uh, Pastor Lloyd sends his greetings. He is up north where it's nice and cool, so uh, thanks, Lloyd. Um, Anyhow, (laughs) go Suns, right? Game three in the house. Yes. We are right in the middle of a series of God is a Covenant, and we've been exploring a lot of different stories in the Bible that talk about that. Today, we're going to launch into Saul and David. It's a great story. Uh, Before we launch into that story, just as a recap and a review What is a covenant, and why are we talking about that God is a covenant-making God? So to describe a covenant, I'm going to contrast it with like a contractual agreement, because that's really, um, Americans understand that, we can kind of wrap our mind around that. So a contractual agreement says this party is going to do this, if they perform, then I'm going to perform my side. So if they do what they're going to do, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. So it's kind of like a house. I have a house for sale, I say, the plumbing works, the electrical works, all this stuff works, right? And they say, well, I'm going to get a loan, I'm going to get the money, and so they do an inspection, everything works, they get a loan, their loan funds, and then we transact, I give them the keys, I move out, and they perform, I perform. You see, a covenant is something completely different. It's a position where one party is taking all the responsibility, all the liability, and it says, no matter what you do, I'm going to perform on my side. And that's the God that we serve. We see a God who, no matter what type of disappointments that he clearly gives people instruction, it seems like they always fail. (laughs) They always fall short. But on his side, he's saying, my performance is not conditional-based. My performance, my love, is strong no matter what you do. I will never fail. My grace is sufficient. My heart is that all would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So that is why we are highlighting this series. And it is a wonderful knowledge knowing that God is a covenant God. So I have, um, talking about the story of Saul and David, there is a lot of backdrop with talking about that. So the, the big arch is that we're talking about spiritual authority and coverings. And so in order to really tell the story of Saul and David, we have to kind of give a little bit of experience and background of what the nation of Israel is all about. So is that okay? Can we talk about a lot of Bible? Are you guys ready? All right, you got your coffee. We're good to go. Okay, so um, here's, here's what happened. Israel was a unique country, a unique people, because God really wanted to be their king. So God set up that he had prophets that would speak to the Lord, and then the Lord would, through the prophets, give instruction to the people. But it came time where the people were not satisfied with that. They were not content with that. They didn't like that arrangement. And so the, the prophet at the time was Samuel. And they go to Samuel, and you can um, turn in your Bible. Um, there's a lot of great scripture that we'll be covering today. So pretty much be in 1 Samuel, starting around verse 6 of chapter 8, and you can read along um, up here as well. They said to them, um, Samuel, we want a king to lead us. This displeased Samuel, so he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, 
but they have rejected me as their king. So they are rejecting God. They're saying, what you're giving us is not good enough. And so they're rebelling against this. And does God in the next verse say, you know what? Forget about it. I'm done. I don't love you anymore. You're on your own. No, because he is a covenant God. No matter what the people do, his position and his love never, never falters. So he says to Samuel, go and anoint Saul to be the very first king of Israel. So he does that, but before he is crowned king, Samuel in chapter 8 gives a very stern warning to the people. He says, you guys, this is going to go very badly. This is your chance to reconsider He says, if you make him your king, he's going to reign over you. He's going to take your sons into war. He's going to plow your ground, take your harvest. He's going to take your daughters and make them cooks in his kitchen and bakers. He's going to take the very best of your fields, the very best of your vineyards. He's going to take your grain. He's going to charge you tax on your flock. This is a bad idea. Do you want to do it? And what happened? Did the people say, oh, maybe we need to reconsider no, they didn't. I'm like that. I'm like that. I'm like, no, I want my way. I want a king. So in verse 19, the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king to rule over us. Then we will be like other nations. Imagine you're hearing this in the position of God, from God's perspective. Listen to what they say. With a king to lead us and to go out before us to fight our battles. Could you imagine God's saying, you know what? I I feel like you're in good hands. I feel like I've taken care of you. (laughs) What battles have I not led you through? But no, they wanted a king. So Samuel heard all the people, and he repented before the Lord. So this is where Saul enters the stage. And Saul was 33 years old when he became king, and he reigned over Israel for 42 years. Um, We see in Saul's life, you can depict a lot of different lessons, but his greatest successes were when he surprisingly listened and obeyed to God, and his biggest failures are when he acted alone, when he says, you know what, I've got this, I can do it on my own. A lot like my life (laughs) and your life, right? (laughs) So um, the big idea is that truly um, building a foundation for this message, that honestly, when we boil it all down, truly God is the reason for our success, and he holds our future. So Saul is successful because of God's goodness. We are successful because of God's goodness. King David was successful because of God's goodness. It's God that makes us successful. And he knows your future, and he has it in his hands. So Saul begins to take matters in his own hands, and he begins to make some really poor decisions. Um, The first was um, being that uh, in chapter 13, um, the Philistines were attacking So his troops were all set up, and these uh, Philistines are attacking. Um, I imagine there's a lot of stress and pressure. The troops are like, what do we do? And he says, you know what? Samuel said to wait here so that he could offer a sacrifice so that we could seek the Lord before we go into battle. So he was waiting, and he was waiting, and the pressure, and the pressure. And so does he wait for Samuel? No. He says, you know what? We got to go to war. Forget this. Give me this. I'm going to take matters by my own hands. So he sacrifices this. And right as he's finished, wouldn't you know that Samuel shows up? (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. And he says, Saul, what have you done? You were supposed to wait for me. And he says, you know what? The pressure was mounting. I just had to, before we go into war, I had to do this. So we see Saul substituting faith in God 
in believing in God, that God was going to protect them, that God was going to see them through, and he substituted it for a shallow religious act. The second mistake that he made um, a couple chapters later is he was told to go in and obey this camp and completely destroy everything, all the sheep and the cattle and everything. But did he do that? No, he, he looked at things that were appealing to him. So he kept the sheep and the cattle and anything that appealed to him. And he also kept the king alive. And then Samuel arrives on the scene and says, what happened? You were told to not do this. And so Samuel um, does what a lot of good teenagers do. They justify, right, parents? Are you with me? He says, oh, Samuel, I'm so glad you're here. I've kept all the sheep so that we can offer them to the Lord. Yes, I didn't disobey. I'm honoring God. Samuel says, no, this is wrong. You didn't follow the instructions. And so God tells Samuel, he says, you know what? You need to go and anoint David as king. A lot of us are familiar with the story of David. This is where David comes on the scene, and because of Saul's disobedience, he loses his power. So Saul is now still in the position of king, but David is anointed king. And so he rises up, he defeats Goliath, and he gives hope and deliverance to the people of Israel. Like he's doing a very, very good thing. But Saul is jealous. He becomes very angry. And we see a little bit of uh, his interesting um, ways in chapter 18, verses 7 through 14. Um, David kills Goliath, and he becomes very famous in the people's eyes. So um, apparently there's a group of ladies, and they got together, and they're like, we're going to write a cool song. And I'm sure it was like a hip-hop, you know, chukka chukka boom. Here's how the song went. Saul killed his thousands, and David killed his ten thousands. I wish I was musically inclined. Maybe Jackie can work up a little jig. Maybe not. Anyhow, um, verse 8, this made Saul very angry. He said, what's this? They credit David with 10,000 and me with only 1,000. Next, they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. The very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul, and he began to rave in his house like a madman. David was playing the harp as he did each day. But Saul had a spear in his hand, and he suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall. But David escaped from him twice. Saul was then afraid of David, for the Lord was with David, and had turned away from Saul. Finally, Saul sent him away and appointed him commander over a thousand men. The reason I love this story is I want to highlight, and I want to invite you to take the position of David in this story. Here David has done nothing wrong. He's been faithful. He's found favor in God's eyes. He's been anointed by the prophet he goes and has the faith to listen to God and defeats Goliath, helping his whole nation. He's there at Saul's command, playing the harp, doing everything right. But he's not rewarded. He's hated. He's feared by his supervisor. Maybe it's a boss. Can you relate to this scenario? <laughs> Has there been a covering or authority in your life that even though you're doing everything right, it still's not good enough. And you feel this, this discontent and this tension, this strife between you and your covering, you and your authority. What do you do in that regard? 
Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's a family and there's this tension. And you're like, I, I'm checking myself and I don't feel like I've said anything or done anything wrong, but I'm struggling in the turmoil of this. And it keeps you up at night. Well, here's what David's response was. He says, um, in verse 14, it says, David faithfully led his troops into battle. He continued to succeed in everything he did, for the Lord was with him. When Saul recognized this, he became even more afraid at him. You see, what's really challenging about David is he couldn't even go to Saul because he was almost banned from his presence. He couldn't say his side of the story. He says, like, let's make this right. I am for you. I want to help you. Obviously, I've done everything right to help my people of Israel. Why are you so mad at me? I haven't been like David. My boss has never thrown a spear at me, and I've had to escape twice, right? <laughs> like, David's position was still amazing. Here's what we didn't see him do. He didn't vent. He didn't turn the people of Israel against Saul, being like, Dude, the king has lost his marbles. He's trying to kill me. Let me be your leader now. He's not trying to stir up detention, you know, all this frustration against Saul. Instead, he faithfully serves in how he was assigned to. He submitted to the covering that God put in his life, and he says, you know what? I'm going to do the best I can with these thousand troops. And it says that God was with him. Did he like his circumstances? No. He didn't. But does that mean that God wasn't with him? No. See, in my mind, when God's with me, everything is yellow brick road. It's wonderful, right? (laughs) But in this situation, not his boss. It's not like he could go to a higher supervisor. He couldn't go to the board of directors. He was the king of the land. He had nowhere to go to vent his frustration. There was no HR department, right? And Saul gets incredibly worse. Saul had a son, Jonathan, and Jonathan and David were awesome friends. They were great friends. So now Saul is beginning to hate and despise his son because his son is friends with David. Even he, in the story, it gets worse. He throws a spear at his son, intending to kill him because of his relationship with David. So at this point, David is on the run. He's done nothing wrong, but now he has to leave his hometown. He has to leave all the little restaurants and places that he knows in town, all of his friends, all of his family. And now he's on the FBI most wanted list, right? And he's done nothing wrong. He's lost his position. He's lost his homeland. He has to hide. He's in constant fear that Saul will hunt him down and kill him. And so David goes to one of the priests and he says, hey, look, here's what's, you know, I I need some help. I need some food. And so the priest helps him. And Saul finds out that the priest helps him. And he says, what are you doing? And he's like, I've always helped David. What are you talking about? I know, I know nothing about your relationship. Saul's furious, and in an evil, horrible, despicable act, Saul gives instructions that the priest be executed. Eighty-five innocent priests get killed that day because of Saul. He killed his family, their kids, their livestock, going nuts and berserk. This is the authority that David was placed under. This is crazy. At that point, I would have, I don't know what I would have done. It would have been bad. 
Like, what do you do if you're David in this scenario? Samuel still goes after David, and he goes to hunt him down, and he recruits 3,000 of his elite warriors, right? And so David's with a band of 600 guys. So just to put this in context, it's kind of like um, me, and I got, um, you know, I got Tony, I got Jeff, Pastor Lloyd, I got, you know, Don, and we're, you know, there's six of us, me and six guys, versus Saul and 30, like, elite warrior Chuck Norris guys, right? <laughs> like, Alan's with me, he's good, you know, like, he's got a spear, he's probably a better aim than, you know, King David, or King Saul, but, you know, we're in big trouble, right? This is not going to go well for us. And this was where David was at. So he decides to hide in this cave, right? So uh, it's a really cool story. Um, it, uh, uh, it starts in uh, chapter 24. It says, uh, At the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went in the cave to relieve himself. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding further back in this cave. So you have 3,000 elite troops, and David and his 600 are hiding out in this cave, hoping that Saul doesn't find them. And then Saul gets off, and he goes in the cave to relieve himself. Now, it should come to you as no surprise that when I was reading this Bible story to my children, it was one of the most memorable Bible stories that I've ever told my children for nighttime. And you can see it was a circa 1984 book, the Read and Grow Picture Bible. <laughs> so Saul is uh, going into this cave to relieve himself, to go to the bathroom, right? So here's how the picture is this. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, displayed. Um, David did not harm Saul. Instead, he slipped up close to the king, and in darkness, he cut off a piece of his robe, and Saul did not know anything that had happened. So David has a chance to defeat Saul, right? It's the only, only part in the Bible where somebody's recorded going to the bathroom. So I, <laughs> my kids really loved it. They, they really loved that story. Oh, the poop story. Oh, they love that story. Anyhow, um, Finally, David and Saul has a chance to come together. So imagine, David, all of the sleepless nights. When I run into Saul, what am I going to say? How am I going to confront him? And finally, the moment happens where he has a chance to talk to Saul. And here's what he says. He shouted out to Saul, Why do you listen to the people who say, I am trying to harm you? This very day... You can see with your own eyes that it isn't true. For the Lord placed you at my mercy back there in the cave. Some of my men told me to kill you, but I spared you. For I said, I will never harm the king. He is the Lord's anointed one. Look, my father, at what I have in my hand. It's a piece of your hem of your robe. I have cut it off, but I did not kill you. This proves that I am not trying to harm you. And that I have not sinned against you, even though you have been hunting me to try to kill me. May the Lord judge between us. Perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you are trying to do to me, but I will never harm you. What an amazing posture that David had. I will never harm you. You are the Lord's anointed one. This struck Saul deep. And when David had finished speaking, he called back, Is that really you, my son David? And he began to cry. Saul realized what had happened, and he said to David, you are a better man than I, for you have repaid me good for evil. Yes, you have been amazingly kind to me today, for when the Lord put me in a place 
where you could have killed me, you didn't do it. Who else would let his enemy get away when he had the power? May the Lord reward you well for your kindness you have shown me today. And now I realize that you are surely going to be king, and the kingdom of Israel will flourish underneath your rule. God submitted, David rather, submitted to God's covering. Even though it was unfair, even though he's being treated harshly, David in the Psalms cries out to God so many times, Lord, deliver me. And finally we see a chance where Saul is now not hunting David. This Easy Up we took to uh, camp, and um, I love Easy Ups. I kind of have a weird thing about Easy Ups. At our old church, um, we would set up probably about 20 or 30 of these. (laughs) But Easy Ups are great because they're a great covering. So when we looked for youth camp, we never had any indication that it was going to rain. Our Apple maps and weather says, oh, just hot, hot, hot. So these came in really handy to get in the shade, but also, wouldn't you know it, it began to rain. And so it was really good that we had these because they provided a covering for us. And I think there's a lot of different coverings in our life, isn't there? There's the covering that we are American citizens. And so what that gives us is a lot of benefit. We have the right for free enterprise system. Our country says you can start a business. We have the right for transportation and traveling and roads and freeways. We have the right to free speech. We have a lot of benefits from the covering of being an American citizen. But we also have responsibilities, right? Anybody ever got the, uh, the notice for jury duty? Yeah. <laughs> You're at that, at that time reminded of your responsibility as a citizen because you have to report to jury duty, right? And we also have different coverings like in family, or in marriage, right? There's a lot of benefits of community and a place to belong. Uh, You know, your kids, they they live in your house, they live in your structure, your house, but it's my house, my rules. Oh, there's rules with covering. There's rules with authority, right? This is almost like the church, not not the four walls of our building, but the church of streams is a covering, right? It's a place for us to grow. It's a spiritual covering. It's a place to minister and have connection. In our workplaces, that's a place of covering, right? There's a lot of great benefits. We like to get a paycheck. We like to have health insurance. Hopefully, it's a place where you can have tools and skills for you to be able to promote the company and help people. But it also comes with a lot of obligation, right? You have to submit under their plan, under their rule. You have to Wear what they want you to wear. Log, you know, log in or clock in or however that works. So we are under a lot of different authorities. We're under a lot of different coverings. But maybe you're like, I don't like my covering. I don't like this relationship. I don't like being married. I don't like what's going on. I don't like the, the relational tension that I feel with this covering. Or I don't like the politics. I don't like what I see our nation doing. I don't like that. I don't like my supervisor at work. I don't like what they're standing for. I see shady stuff going on and it makes me sick. Well, you're not much farther off than what David experienced. Your boss probably hasn't tried to kill you with a spear, (laughs) thankfully. (laughs) If you have, you need to report it. (laughs) But maybe you don't like the covering that God's put over you. 
the authority that God's put over you. What are your options? What do you do? Well, when you boil it down, you really have three options, don't you? Number one, you can linger under your authority. You can leave or you can learn, right? I think lingering is the worst option. Uh, people that linger under their authority, they always have a bad attitude. They complain all the time. No matter who's with them, it's never good enough. The company is doing this. They're only for themselves. They complain about everything. They always want to have a listening ear to complain about how they've been done wrong or the promotion they didn't get. They just have a bad attitude. And for the world, we see that a lot, but we're supposed to be different as Christ followers, aren't we? First Peter says, um, if you want to enjoy a life and see many happy days, who's that? A couple of you guys. <laughs> That's all of us, right? Then keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. <laughs> this is so good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. Search for peace. It's saying that, you know what, there's a lot of conflict there, but search for peace. Be a peacemaker, the Bible says. As, as children of God and followers of God, we are to be the peacemakers, right? And it causes us labor to maintain it and to work for it. So that's what lingering is. That's not a good option. Second option is to leave. We can walk away. We can say, forget this. I'm done with this job. I'm done with this relationship. I'm done with this church. I'm done. I'm out. But let me make a suggestion. Before you leave, realize that how you leave matters. And you want to really seek God's counsel, and you want to have peace before you leave. And, and seek other people's counsel as well. And be praying about it. Because David had a chance to take out Saul. And all the people around him, his 600 guys, said, this is the Lord's, this is a gift the Lord's given you to take out Saul. But he said, no, the Lord's anointed Saul to be king for this time. My time will come. So be very careful. Because the way that David left and the way that he dealt with this difficult covering had ramifications for the whole entire future. His whole future depended upon how he navigated through this difficult time. You know what? And even biblical history was rewritten when the people says, I don't like God as my covering. We, the nation of Israel, we need a king. Imagine if they hadn't done that. Biblical history was rewritten because they were unhappy with their covering. So when you do leave at that time, make sure you have peace about it. Because when you leave that job, you go to the next one, the very first question they're going to ask is what? Why'd you, <laughs> Why'd you leave? What's your supervisor's number, right? You want to leave well. And maybe you're like, Sean, I feel like I have gotten that word. I should leave, but I don't have faith to step out. You also got to deal with those emotions too. And trusting God and being like, nope, my time to leave. God's got something for me. You're taking a spot that God wants to put in that place. God's got you, right? So leave well. The third thing is that you can learn. And this is, this is challenging. 
learning in a difficult situation where you, where you just feel frustrated, where you feel turbulent. But what can I learn in this situation? Um, I think for me, I had one of those seasons where it was just challenging. Where um, being in the culture, it wasn't bad, but it just wasn't a good fit. And I could just see what they were interested, I wasn't really interested. And so, in closing, um, the worship team can come up, but I just want to give you a couple pieces of practical advice. Number one, pray for those in authority above you. Pray for them. Pray for your covering, your government, your mayors, the people ahead of you in jobs, relationships, whatever that looks like. Pray for your covering. And number two, um, write down this verse, Romans 12, 12. <laughs> you can take a picture of it on the screen. This verse kept me for over a year. I put it on my, on my screensaver, my wallpaper. I needed this verse. Every time I felt frustrated, I would have it. It says to be joyful in hope. Jackie talked about hope. The Bible says, you know what? Not only is hope coming, that you need to be joyful in the expectation that hope is coming. And where is our strength found? The joy of the Lord is our strength. Be joyful in hope. Hope and joy will give you strength. Your situation, your circumstances, they will change. But be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction. I love how the Bible doesn't hide the fact that there is going to be affliction. <laughs> There's going to be challenges. It doesn't gloss over that, right? But it says, in the challenges, when you're being treated unfairly, when you're being not recognized the way you need to be, be patient. Be patient in affliction. God will work it out. And then finally, be faithful in prayer. Continue to seek God above all else. Be faithful in prayer. I want to go ahead and pray as we close the service. And there's a prayer team at the, um, at the side if you want prayer. But just to just to help me out, if you're, if you're like, Sean, I, I need prayer for this. I feel like I'm in a difficult situation. I feel like I'm struggling with my covering, with my people that God's got in front of me, and I just want prayer. If that's you, do you mind just lifting your hand? I'd love to pray with you. Thank you, guys. Heavenly Father, um, I thank you that, number one, you are a covenant God, that no matter what our actions are, you are faithful. And Lord, we don't know what the future is next year. We don't know where you're leading us, but we know that you have a beautiful, bright future for us. And you hold it. You're keeping it safe for us. Lord, help us to transition well. Help us to move into where you want us to go. And may you be honored by how we respond. Help us to be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Give us courage to take a step when we need to. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to our sermon. If you want to know more about us, you can find us at streamschurch.org or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you enjoyed this content, subscribe and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Till next time, have a great week.